0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Oh man, what a great day and what a fun show we're going to have. We're talking about pasture management today. So getting getting off the topic of row crops here a little bit, looking out in the pastures, there is so much opportunity. And we often get the question, where can I make the biggest impact in my operation? And one of those spots is out in the pasture because weeds are huge robbers of nutrients, sunlight, and water. And oftentimes it's said when you have weeds in your pasture, it takes three times, uh, it, for each pound of weeds, it takes the place of three pounds of grass production. Wow, that is huge. So you think about how many more animals you could have in your pasture or how much longer you could have them out in the pasture, however you want to look at that, if you just took care of the weeds, So it's a big, big deal. So we're going to talk about weed control, but we're also going to talk about just how to get the most tonnage out of that grass production too. There's a lot of different things that you can do and you can also extend the season a little bit. We'll talk about that on today's program. We're also taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout. So if you don't have any pasture and you want to talk about something else, that's totally fine. 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone line. And you can always email us Radio at agphd.com.
1: All right. So that was my brother, Darren, and I'm Brian Hefty. We are live in the Morton studio today. On this pasture management thing, I would just say, if you start thinking about your pasture as a crop, then it will totally change your perspective on everything. It's just like when we're talking to people about cover crops. We get lots of questions about cover crops. And I say, really? You're just going to throw that out there and it's just going to sit there and do nothing and you're going to kill it off then? Well, no, I'm going to graze it or bale it or whatever. And I go, well, you're not. that's not a cover crop. That's a cash crop, just like pasture. Um, that's not a cover crop. It's a cash crop. So your job is... When we talk about pastures, is to raise as much grass as possible. The grass is your crop. So just think for a minute on how could you be an expert on raising the very best grass possible? You see what I mean? It totally changes how you think about that pasture. It's not this thing where, oh well, whatever, I'll get around to it when I do. No. It's a cash crop that's worth a crazy amount of money. So, yeah, we'll talk today a little about fertility, weed control, insect control, disease control, drainage, you name it. We're going to cover it today when it comes to pasture management. And, again, if you've got a question for us, uh, you can call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, on a completely separate note, I just wanted to talk to you today real quick as we're starting this show about the 2020 growing season. So separate from pastures, uh, a little bit, but we've been getting so many questions about what's happening with prices and, and uh, supply going into 2022 for seed, for crop protection products, for fertilizer, I'll just say this. Now, today is probably not the best time to buy ag chemicals. In September or in October, that could be the very best time. And here's, you might say, well, why would I wait if I'm worried about supply and I'm worried about price? Part of the reason why you might wait on on many items is the reset that occurs every year with ag chemical prices. And same thing with seed and to some degree fertilizer, but especially Ag chem and seed. When you get to September 1, then a lot of these big companies, they start their new marketing year. Some of them don't start till October 1, like BSF, for example. Uh, but many of them, they're starting September 1. So the reset on price basically becomes prepay. So there are prepay discounts from all these companies starting in the fall where they don't have them today. So there's no company I know of today where you can get a cash discount on Chem or on Seed, whereas September 1, there are pretty much all companies, other than, like I say, maybe BSF and a couple others that don't start their marketing year until October 1. But anyway, if unless something is going to jump in price between this month And next month, jump in their their list price like 10%. The odds are pretty high that you're going to get a better deal next month. So, yes, maybe if it's Liberty or generic glufosinate, I'd probably take that today. But almost seriously, almost everything else, and believe me, I am looking at what the prices look like for September versus right now. Uh, Most everything else looks cheaper in September than it does today. So I'm just trying to tell you, don't be in any huge rush to get stuff locked in. But nevertheless... Buying this fall is probably not a bad idea, in part because I can tell you almost all the, the major ag chemical companies I talk to, and by the way, I, I'm really fortunate. I get to talk to the head people with basically every major manufacturer that there is in terms of ag chemical, and they have all told me we're worried about the Chinese Olympics coming up in January. And the reason why is because if you go back in history to 2008, what happened then? Chinese Olympics. What did, they, what did China do? They shut down their manufacturing plants for a couple months in advance of that. We're concerned that's going to happen again. Is it going to make supply as bad as it was this last spring? We hope not. Is it going to make price as bad as it was last spring? Probably. So I would expect you're going to see winter price increase, definitely spring price increase, and possible shortages. But the good news is there's going to be a lot of supply out there and fairly decent prices on everything other than Roundup and Liberty this fall. Roundup and Liberty, yes, they're going to be double from last year. But, I mean, in total, when you look at your entire ag-chem bill, it's not going to be up that much. Fertilizer, on the other hand, that's up crazy. But I would say this with fertilizer there's no price protection there's no inventory protection anything else like they do with chem and seed so if you buy this fall and you're not going to take it till spring i would just tell you yes things could continue to go up but they also could go down whereas if chem and seed go down between fall and spring you get the lower price fertilizer unless you work something out with your dealer you don't Uh, on the seed side of things I'm not too worried about supply. There will probably be a few issues just because there's are drought in areas and stuff like that, but I feel pretty good about supply on seed. Supply and chems going to be a little bit tight. The, the two main products we're worried about, Liberty and Roundup. But anyway, today we'll spend our time talking about pasture management. That's coming up next here on Ag PhD Radio.
2: We now bring you an important news bulletin. This <laughs>
3: This just in from Live Action News.
4: Innovation has come to the world of Burndown.
1: New Elevor herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevor herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your Burndown.
0: back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio, and we're talking about pasture management. Oh, we should do more shows about this, and we've had a lot of requests. Hey, can you help us out with our grassland and our pasture a little bit as well? We we don't have all the acres in corn and soybeans like you guys. Well, we've got some pasture, too, and we want things to be good out there because, honestly, in our area, much like many areas as we travel around the country, it's going to be a little less pasture, or little less ground for pasture out there, and we've got to do the best we can. So uh want to talk about that on today's program. Also taking your calls and agronomic questions. Maybe Brian's opening rant there gets you thinking about, man, when should I be buying my stuff this fall? If we want to talk about that, 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, said uh, down to Iowa. We've got our friend Kelly Garrett on the west side of Iowa where it's a little bit hilly. Uh Might have a little bit of pasture in that area. Kelly, how are you doing?
5: Good, how are you,
0: Darren? Good. You know, I know when I was growing up and and we, our ground is much flatter than yours. We've got some rolling hills and and our dad would say, Well, you know, there's there's enough slope there. We're probably better off leaving that ground in pasture. And I know farming practices have changed, a lot of things has changed. Is all the pasture ground in your area does it all have a lot of slope to it, or is there some some flat areas too that are pasture?
5: There would be some flatter areas too, but predominantly it's the it's the steeper ground.
0: Okay, so as you're managing that for for cattle, uh, how do you get the most out of that ground? I I know they can graze all the way up those hills, no no question about that. But is a little bit different when you've got rolling hills out there.
5: You know, uh, we try to rotate it uh, back and forth, uh, which is you know more of an art form than a science. At the beginning of the year the grass is growing so fast and so hard that it can get headed out. And, you know, I learned that all my pasture stuff comes from my dad. He's a great cow manager, great cow guy. And in the beginning of the year, we would like to have more cattle on there, heavier, because we don't want it to head out. Because once it heads out, it gets stemmy, they don't like it, it's not palatable, and it quits growing. We always want the grass to be in a constant state of growth. So then later in the year, we're going to thin those numbers out to continue to have it growing. You know, like now it's, it's pretty dry. I think everybody knows that. It's pretty dry out, and we're going to thin those numbers out. We're going to supplement with a little bit more feed, things like that, to kind of try to keep it in a constant state of growth if we can. And, you know, her, uh, uh, numbers per, per acre, head per acre, and rotation is how we try to accomplish that.
0: Yeah, that's, there's a lot there. There's a lot to, to what you just mentioned, Kelly. And, you know, it's not like you are in a situation where you've got 12 months out of the year that the grass growth is going to be amazing. So what do you do? Do you have any tricks to, to getting grass growing healthier, longer through the season? Are you doing some fertility things? Are you putting out any, any PGRs or anything like that as well?
5: We, uh, I haven't tried PGRs, but that's a great plan. I should do a trial on that this fall or this next spring, really. Uh, we used to just use straight nitrogen, you know, when you could get nitrate, you know, years ago. Then we switched to ammonium sulfate because of the sulfur, and we still use ammonium sulfate a lot of the time. We will add in some urea there depending upon your, you know, moisture or rain chances. And now that plant food product that we have, uh, our, I a lot of times think that our number one yield limiting factor, be it grass, soybeans, corn, wheat, whatever, is sulfur because of the base saturation. And we see huge differences in that grass when we can spray that plant food. And the reason is the sulfur, I believe.
0: Yeah. And and that liquid plant food that you have, how far out do you go with that? I, I know that's something for your own farm you use a lot of, but I also know you do a lot of trucking for other guys who are using the same
5: thing. We have uh, I have a gentleman by Atchison, Kansas, and we're hauling two loads every day too, and he's putting it through his pivot.
0: Wow! Wow! Okay, I didn't realize you got that far out. That's that is really interesting. Okay, one other thing. It,
5: it, it- it- Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, nope, no. Nope, well, go ahead. he. Uh, the reason it works. To, the reason it works to go to Atchison is because we have a pickup every day in St. Joe, so we can kind of give him a backhaul rate. We get to there, and then we truck it back. That makes it very affordable for perfect,
0: him. Perfect. Perfect. How about soil testing, yeah. Kelly? I know you're pretty pretty intense on this across your crop ground. How often are you doing soil testing out in pasture ground?
5: Uh, you know, once every few years, just to. Uh, you know, just to see what's there to try to it about. It's it's really research and education.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it is
5: something that we have a huge program on.
0: Yeah, when you're when you're feeding the soil like you are and like you mentioned uh, putting your liquid plant food product out there and and putting more than just a, just a nitrogen thing I think that's a big deal we've seen a lot of gains from micronutrients and other things just like we do in the rest of our soils I mean it's the same the same dirt is under the pasture is under your crop ground uh, at least the same base material so why, why not feed it the same way uh, well Kelly thank exactly. you so some- much Thank you so much. Really appreciate you talking about pasture just a little bit, because I know everybody thinks, oh, it's Kelly, it's corn guy. Uh-uh. No, no. Kelly <laughs> Kelly does other things than just corn, and, and pasture is certainly one of them. Thank you so much, Kelly. Really appreciate it.
5: Thank you, Darren. See you later.
0: Let's head down south a little bit. we get got Dr. Rocky Lemus with us down in Mississippi at Mississippi State. Rocky, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. All right, so Kelly's talking about a little different type of grass, I think, than, than what you've got down in the south. Most of the pastures there, what what types of grass are, are farmers using?
6: Uh, you know, when you move south, and we t- we're talking, uh, you've got the transition zone, which usually Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee. You know, when we look at south, the southern states, which includes mainly part of South Arkansas into Mississippi, Louisiana, uh, Texas, uh, Georgia, you gonna see, you're going to see more utilization of Bermuda uh, grass, probably is going to be one of the predominant uh, pastures. But also, we got uh, a lot of Bahia grass. So, those are the two probably main warm season perennial grasses that we have across the South. But we also integrate a lot of uh, uh, warm season annuals, uh, per millet, uh, sorghum season hybrids, crabgrass grass is very popular. Uh, as a summer annual crop as well, that can allow us to transition also into um, annual grasses, especially grasses, is, is a staple in the south for, for putting a lot of uh, gain on uh, stocky cattle as well.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's that's kind of a neat deal when you have a, a good long season. I obviously you get plenty of heat through the summer, and and if you're fortunate enough to catch the rain, uh, we can have some pretty tremendous production out there. As we get towards the end of the summer and into the fall, with uh, with with all these grasses, what are farmers doing to to really have a good fall season?
6: Okay, you know, one thing that we we have the advantage here that. Uh, when we get to uh, these grasses, we can grow them into probably late uh, September, early October. We have a good production. So we're still going to see people that are trying to, to fertilize the pastures. Um, this year has been a, a really tough year for us because of the amount of rain that we have. But also we have a really high infestation of army worms that have decimated a lot of the pastures. So it's been a tough decision for them having to fertilize and at the same time try to control armyworms. I think we are probably on the first cycle of controlling armyworms already. Uh, So it makes it a very difficult situation. But also we get into that time of the year where a lot of producers start thinking about uh, I need to soil test my my fields. I need to get my fields ready for for next year. and Make sure that they're ready for either hay production or pasture production. So we usually recommend to soil test every three years. So we see those producers get into that mode already, or collecting their soil samples in, in early September, uh, late August, early September, so they can start planning, especially with lime applications. Uh, they want to be able to see that lime and start working on those fields and trying to increase the efficiency of the fertilizer that they're going to be using next next growing season as well.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the excessive rain, and that that can be a tough thing when you have rain washing away fertility applications and and you mentioned the lime out there that's something i know growers up in our area are like wait a second they're liming pastures yes if you need to lime the field right next to the pasture chances are the pasture probably needs it too so i love your soil test recommendation
6: yeah you know and and i tell producers you know we you know when you have a lot of acidity in, in those soils, you're going to have issues with high levels of, of iron or aluminum creating toxicity in those plants. And what they don't realize that when you have a high aluminum toxicity, is going to limit root growth and development. And when we get into situations that we have a very cold weather or we have a drought period, you might be able to impact... Uh, the stand and the start development and start losing their stand very quickly so mm-hmm. usually lime is the cheapest fertilizer you can put out there before you do anything else in your fields
0: i yep, totally agree dr rocky Lemus here with mississippi state thanks so much rocky really appreciate having you on
4: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds including kochia, tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes proactive effective weed resistance management starts in the fall get a clean start for your next season with valor herbicide brands always read and follow label directions
0: don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPHD fertilizer removal app simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPHD fertilizer removal app calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play.
1: Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com.
3: Get an extra semi load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farmshop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi load. Visit farmshopmfg.com
1: for more.
0: Welcome back! You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking a little pasture management on today's program. And we just had Dr. Rocky Lemus from Mississippi State on. Always love when we get Rocky on, talking Bermuda grass, Bahia grass, uh, warm season annuals for pasture production. Talking about packing on some pounds onto the cattle down there. It's it's kind of neat, uh, just hearing different perspectives around the country. Head out west here. Get our friend Paul on. He he farms and raises some cattle out in California. Paul, how you doing?
2: Oh, well, I'm doing fine, guys.
0: All right. So California, a little different situation. Uh, Rocky Lemus was just telling us Mississippi too much rain, and that was a problem this year. Uh, we we certainly are familiar with dry conditions as well. So when you think about pasture management, what are the big concerns for you, Paul, in your area?
2: Well, I I think that, you know, we, uh, we have a very different environment than really most of, uh, of North America. Um, we're, we're normally dry through the summer. So on our, on our, our grounds, uh, not irrigated. So, uh, uh, so, so, so we have to kind of plan around that. And, uh, uh, is, know, it ro- big, is it is uh, it
0: rotational grazing then Paul is that how you do it you try to try to just give them access to a small portion of the pasture and then move them around a little bit or, or how do you how do you handle that when you just don't get rain
2: well you know we you know rotational grazing's part of it and uh, for me but you know a lot of the pastures they take the cattle in in the fall and take them out in the springtime but uh, uh, you know we've been run our cows there year round and kind of, uh, you know, using rotational grade and kind of budget the feed. Sure. So, sure. You know, I, I, uh, I, I, you know, in the summertime in, the, in June, you know, you kind of know how much feed you have left for the rest of the year and we get out ahead of it and we kind of adjust our stocking rate accordingly. Um, I, I, started uh, rotationally grazing uh, four or five years ago and one of the big things I noticed is that uh, uh, is is it you know pasture continuously grazed might look the same but when you rotationally graze it you can tell the areas where the cows have uh, where, where the cows have grazed and uh return nutrients to the soil and where they graze and have it return nutrients to the soil. And there are some areas that uh, grow five times as much feed as other areas.
0: Wow. What a difference. um,
2: uh, Yeah. And, you know, looking at it from the side of the – just looking at the field, you never notice that until you cross fence and look at where the – look at how much feed the cows have in each paddock.
0: Hey, now no, let me build on that, Paul, because I, I really got a chance to visit with you a little bit at the, the neo Kinsey workshop last year. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is you're taking some of the ground that you own and trying to improve things for the long term. Are there certain nutrients that you're finding that you're really short on that, that you've got to focus on building?
2: Um, I, I think when you looked at the samples you said i needed everything so <laughs> well that's
0: not fair paul that's <laughs> that's easy for me to say yeah you need more of everything but what,
6: what, what,
0: what, is there anything surprising what, what, there? What, what, surprising i should say
6: well
2: um uh you know i got a one of your uh agronomists gave me a uh a a soil recommendation and i uh, tried it the, after I got back, and then we didn't get any rain, so I'll I'll tell you later. Okay, okay. Uh, but the the it, next year, but the thing that I'm noticing is um, our soils are very shallow, and you know we might have uh, as little as six inches of uh, soil before we get to. Um, I guess you'd call it bedrock, but it's uh, something that you, it's hard as a rock. When you dig through it, it turns to powder. And we did some trenching uh, for some water lines. And we found on the trenches that the uh, grass grew three times as much as where where, where it didn't have the trenching on it. And that was the only, uh, um, so you know l- looking at the soil pro- profile is something that i'm doing and then um i am really interested in calcium uh you know to get the uh you know the plant composition uh, better and have uh, more tasty uh uh grasses for the for the uh cows to eat
0: yeah that's something too i know we notice it with corn and and different types of corn that there are some uh, corn hybrids, for example, that the the cattle really enjoy eating more than others. And it sure makes sense that the nutrition is part of that when you see, hey, they like it from this field, not as much from that field. And uh, I, I applaud you for, for looking at that as well, trying to do everything you can for those animals, even where you get shallow soils and dry weather, trying to make things better. We're talking with Paul out in California, and, and we're really excited we get to meet Paul uh, last year at the Neo Kinsey workshop, and it's something I'd say for, for everyone, if you get a chance to to get to a Neo Kinsey event, uh, you'll find a lot of information there. It's well worth it. Hey, Paul, thank you so much. Really appreciate being generous with your time, talking a little about your farm, and good luck to you. It sounds good. Thank you. Thanks. Let's head down to Arkansas. I know somebody else that needs a little bit of luck is our friend Miles down there. Sounds like armyworms are hitting you pretty hard. I know we just had Dr. Rocky Lemus on from Mississippi State and he said they're having trouble down there too. How's it going, Miles?
3: Oh, very well, gentlemen. Yes, sir. It's it's definitely uh, hitting us pretty hard these last month and a half, uh, about spraying every seven days.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay. So Brian has told me a lot about our, and I've seen army worms and we've had some little issues here and there that we've got to deal with, but I have never seen it as this huge wave that just takes everything like that. And is it really like that miles? I mean, how quick do they just mow down a whole field?
3: Uh, they'll, you'll, it's, it's quite interesting to see you can go out there one day and spot them. And if you don't treat them the next you, it'll be a progressive wave going through the field and uh, you know they're just taking that young undergrowth out, you know, leaving the long stemmy stuff that cattle and whatnot don't like. I mean, one field we average 110 rolls off of it just about every cutting. This this last cutting, and when this was a place we didn't get to in time, this last cutting we got
2: 18. Wow, wow!
0: So did they kill so the stand take. at the end of the end of the day? Is it killed, or is it just it's going to be a while before it comes back?
3: It'll be a little while before it comes back, uh, but the issue is that's where you have to, uh, like the other gentleman was saying, the rotational grazing comes into a big effect. You know, you have to pour some some expenses into it to get the uh, the grass coming back, but if you put cattle on it too quick or something, then, you know, it's just a uh, snowball effect because then all your, your weeds will come back. And it's just pretty well. I'll give you an example if you, uh, like, You know Roundup quite well. It's basically like putting Roundup on the ground, and then just that grass is just just brown and just looks dead, basically. Then once you kill the worms, about two or three days later, you'll see some growth coming back. But in about seven days in this year, about seven days, they're hitting us again. Wow.
0: Wow, so yeah, that's pretty that's pretty ferocious. I, I know we were going I knew we were gonna talk about pasture management today and I was thinking, okay, I'm gonna hear a lot about fertility plans and soil sampling plans, <laughs> those types of things. And and then Alex gives me a heads up. He's like, Hey, Miles has got so many armyworms. I don't know if you're gonna talk about any of that stuff. It might just all be okay. insect control. So are, what are you using? What products are you using? Are you using pyrethroids or are you using something else?
3: Uh we're using a product called Lambosate, and uh we're doing four ounces to the gallon, or excuse me, four ounces to the acre, and then uh, like on some of our other ground, then we have to go back after seven days. Uh, we're mixing a little bit of uh, P, uh, Grazon P plus D in there to uh, take care of any of the uh, the broadleafs that are coming out, and then we're also going through. Like I said, we have uh, several chicken houses so we're also going through after we kill the army worms and put in a little bit of fertilizer try to give everything a little bit of a jump start.
0: I kind of figured that you might get into that giving it a jump to get it growing again. Well Miles good luck to you on your army worm battle and thanks for chatting with us today. We really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
4: AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter-plus-side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
0: Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPhD Insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPhD Insider at agphdinsider.com.
4: Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility
1: for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra low use rate?
0: Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide, available for fall. Every week for more than two decades, AgPHD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more.
1: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about pasture management, but if you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about happening on your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email radio at agphd.com. Okay, so just to kind of wrap things up on pasture management, a few last things that I'll say. Drainage, that can be really important. Now, I get it. You say, well, wait a second. If I was to put tile in, wouldn't that tile plug up eventually? Probably, yeah. Uh, In the meantime, you'd get a lot better grass production. I know that. The other thing is, a lot of times where people are really concerned about the roots getting down into that tile line and plugging it up, we suggest two things. Number one, get as much slope on it as you can. The more slope you have, the more that line's going to flush out by itself. And number two, put the line deeper. So a lot of our tile lines out in crop fields, where we raise annual crops, they're three feet deep. And I'm great with that because we're in an area that doesn't get a lot of rainfall, and so we don't need the water table set down real deep in the ground. But there's nothing wrong with putting a tile line in a pasture down at six feet, seven feet deep, something like that. You're not going to have very prolific roots down at six or seven feet deep. And your tile line is going to last a lot more years before it ends up plugging up. Oh, and by the way, don't worry about a tile line plugging up at some point. I mean, sure, if it plugged up in a year or two, that stinks. But it's kind of like when Darren and I started tiling on our own farm. Our dad just said, look, I've been tiling since I was a kid. And he said, just understand this, all tile lines will eventually plug up. It might be 100 years, might be 50 years, might be 30 years, but all tile lines will plug up. So we just want to do what we can to reduce the problem and extend the life as much as we can. Okay, next thing is soil pH. We really encourage you, test your pasture land like you would test your crop land. Because again, your pasture is a crop and it's a valuable crop. So soil pH is huge. If you can get the soil pH right, you're well on your way to raising a lot more grass. Next thing, fertility. Obviously, nitrogen is super important. But there are other leachables, like sulfur and boron, that should be going out there almost every year. And then you got to take a look at potassium, phosphorus, all the different micronutrients. Fertilize your pasture like you would fertilize your cropland, and your pasture will start to react like your cropland, and you'll raise a lot more grass. Darren mentioned it earlier, but weed control is absolutely essential when we start talking pasture management. Now, part of that is rotational grazing. And the reason why I say that, it's just like in a lawn. We get all kinds of questions about lawns. Well, one of the biggest solutions is not chemical. One of the biggest solutions is just cut your lawn higher and fertilize it well. If you do that, the grass is so much more prolific and then it'll choke out a lot of weeds. Same thing can happen in your pasture. So, When we talk about weed control, the first thing that I want you to think about is rotational grazing, so you don't get the grass too short. If you do that, you're going to have fewer weeds. The next thing I would say is just make sure you hit it hard and and actually kill the weeds permanently rather than letting perennials constantly be a pain. There are really, really good herbicides that last a long time, whether it's Milestone or Tordon. Uh... And there are others as well, chaparral that we really like for brush, for example. So lots of good options. It doesn't cost that much money when you figure out how many pounds of grass you're actually gaining. Next thing is with insects. We don't typically see major problems with insects hurting grass out in pastures, but it's absolutely possible. I think this year, for example, about grasshoppers. We were just talking about armyworms a little bit ago. I mean, if you have issues in your pasture... You can spray it yourself, and it doesn't cost much money to control these bugs. A good pyrethroid is 2 bucks. That's it. It's $2. And so I I, I just encourage you, scout your pasture a little bit, almost like you would scout your cropland. And then finally, diseases. Here again, we don't often deal with a lot of disease issues in the grass, but you may have that. It may be possible that a fungicide could actually pay for you. So think about disease management and just even scouting for disease, looking at your pasture like you would look at your cropland. And if you have any questions on that, you have problems, whatever, we're here to help you as our extension agents and your local agronomists. So anyway, again, I just really encourage you, think about your pasture like your crop and once you do, it'll change your mindset a little bit and hopefully you can produce a lot more grass out there because pasture is a cash crop. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the mailbag!
0: All right, Brian, you got a few of them here to, to dive into. And I thought this one was kind of interesting because we often hear about that leftover jug that somebody finds. So this one comes from Drew. He said, my neighbor gave me some old concentrate from the garage that the previous owner had, quote-unquote, gifted to him. Uh, So it got left behind. So they don't even know for sure what it is. But the label says that it had 18% glyphosate in it. He said, I just want you to know, you guys are talking about Creeping Charlie. Man, did that stuff really work? He said, I had it in my lawn, about a third of my back lawn, and after two applications over a couple of months – everything is gone. And honestly, it's hard to tell if I did any damage to my actual grass. The the heat and dry weathers browned things out, including my front lawn that was completely untouched. I didn't spray anything on that. However, just seeing this annoying weed gone and knowing that I can reseed in the fall is very amazing. Hey, thanks Drew. Thanks for that. We actually are... Uh, Our great uncle, I remember one time we were over at his place and he was spraying Roundup on the yard and we were wondering what in the world he was doing. Well, he had Creeping Charlie really thick in there. And so he sprayed Roundup to just kill the whole yard, which his wife was not very happy with him about for killing the whole yard. But but that's what he chose to do. So, yeah, I'm glad that worked out for you to get rid of that. It is it is a tough one, no doubt about that. And Roundup is effective. Uh, I get this one from Mitz. He he said, just want to say thank you to you guys. My corn yields on, on my very small amount of acres have gone up by 100 bushels per acre. Hey, thanks, Mitts. We really appreciate that. You know, that's the thing that we're trying to do is just get everyone thinking about, hey, here's some different things you may consider. Here's how some other farmers are managing things and, and getting a good return on investment. See what things work for your operation, which, which don't. So clearly you found some things that have really helped. Uh, I get this one from Bibit who said, you guys are awesome. I've been following you for years and really appreciate the advice. Thank you. We appreciate hearing that too. Uh, all right, Brian, uh, I get this one from Robert and he said, you guys are talking about fallow and if fallow is a good thing, if it's not a good thing, uh, there's a strip till of corn, strip till field of corn that I go by and they decided to put a cereal rye cover crop out last fall uh, to keep something growing out in the field. Well, Their field of corn now this year looks poor and will make 70 bushels less than me. They had over 24 inches of irrigation on it and just couldn't make up for it. With less irrigation, my fields of no cover crop will make 275 bushels. Now in 55 years of growing corn, I've never seen corn make less bushels by not having a cover crop. I've got a soil science degree, so nutrient management is second nature to me. I've got three circles of cotton, Uh, One had radishes planted in 90 bushel wheat stubble last August. Unfortunately, there was a bug, a worm, that must have been in there because it killed off the cotton. And he said, normally I'm getting $0.90 cotton, making two and a half bushels per acre, which ends up being over a 1000 bucks an acre. He goes, definitely not pocket change. Hey, thanks, Robert. Really appreciate the feedback. And, you know, it's one of the things, Brian, that you've been talking about this year, too, with the cover crop. Just to be smart about things, if you're in an area that's very dry, if you let that cover crop grow well into the spring, you do run the risk that that cover crop could take some excess moisture out of the soil.
1: Oh, I've talked about it every year that anybody's asked me about cover crops that, you know, it, it, it's a little bit our society, and we're always looking for, what's the silver bullet? And we say, oh, I don't know, what, what can I do to improve my soil and help my yields, and it's going to be great. And, well, cover crops is the answer. And you listen to some people talk about cover crops, and it's like, this is the one thing that God has given the planet to save us all. No, that's not the case at all. In some cases, cover crops can cost you ridiculous amounts of money, including future yields. We have to be smart about when we're using anything and where we're using it. So, and it's not just, Darren made the comment, let it grow late into the season. I'm talking about even letting it grow well into the fall. I would like to terminate cover crops in my area probably in September. And if I don't do that, I'm at risk for losing a crop next year losing a lot of yield out of that crop just because of the moisture loss so we always have to be smart about what we're doing and if you have any questions about that just let us know we'll help you out all right stay tuned we'll get back to more of your questions right after this maintaining your crops is as important
0: now as it's ever been howler a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI-listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game.
3: In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Dicon IGR and Sentinel EC Insecticide, or Dicon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit
2: bugfreegrains.com.
0: Weed control without the BS. That's more time
3: to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to AgPhD Radio, right in the middle of the AgPhD mailbag time, taking your calls and questions at 844 44 AgPhD. Or, of course, you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Just before the break, Gail from Central Missouri called in. And, Brian, I've been waiting for this question all show. I knew it was coming. And, and, and so thanks for calling in, Gail. We really appreciate it. He said, all right, I've got clover that's growing out in my grass pasture and I would like to keep the clover. Unfortunately, we've got a variety of different weeds out there. Is there anything that you can do broadcast spraying that will kill the weeds but not the clover? And, and I mentioned that uh, broadcast word in there too because one of the things we often see growers doing that want to save the clover is they're out there spot spraying. So they're bringing like a four-wheeler with a wand and they spray the weeds. so for example say you had thistles well the every product that i know of that kills thistles does some pretty big damage to the clover and often kills the clover too so at least you're only killing the clover right around where that thistle plant was and if you only had a few thistles it's no big deal but broadcast spray i can't think of anything gail other than maybe some grass products.
1: Right. So let's say it was pastora or plateau, something like that, that would kill some grass species. I mean, it'd kill just a few broadleaves, but it's not the thistle killer that you're after or anything like that, or leafy spurge killer. So yeah, you're kind of stuck to do spot spraying in those cases if you've got thistle patches or leafy spurge or one of the tough broadleaves that you'll often face in pastures. Otherwise, the alternative is you sacrifice the clover. So, sorry, I wish there was something. Oh, by the way, we get this question a lot from people who want to raise, let's call it alfalfa, together with some grass. and I would just say you could actually use Bucktril that would not kill the alfalfa or the grass or even really ding it up. But the problem is it's not labeled for grazing. So it's like Bucktril is not labeled in pastures. And that's the reason why, because you got to wait like 45 days before grazing. So that doesn't really fit, even though that technically would not kill the clover or the grass or alfalfa if that happened to be out there too.
0: All right. Thanks for the question, Gail. Really appreciate that. Uh, I got this one that came in, Brian, and I'm going to give you this picture. This is from Jared in Indiana. And he said, first of all, my family and I were able to make it out to your field day. We really enjoyed it. I think the best part for me was the Ag Myths talk that Brian did. I plan to share Aha. some of these with my landowners <laughs> that we farm for as we've gotten more questions about the products that we're using. So that's one thing. And then, hey, hey so by I've the way, I also got a question
1: too. Okay. So before you go any further, this ag myths thing, what that was, I just talked about all the farmer bashing that the general public and especially the media likes to do, talking about everything from global warming to ethanol, tiling pesticide safety, food safety, water quality, all these things where people are constantly hitting us up in agriculture saying, oh, you guys are polluting the planet and you're doing all these bad things. It's like, "Uh, no, we are saving you. If we weren't here, you'd be dead. So let's first of all keep that in mind. And secondly, the planet would be in way worse shape if we weren't doing what we're doing because let's keep in mind, what do plants breathe in? They breathe in. Carbon dioxide. What's the number one greenhouse gas? Carbon dioxide. And and by the way, people want to talk about all these battery-powered cars and stuff. Let's get real, okay? Ethanol is way better for the planet than the battery-powered cars because, for us as farmers, we can be below zero. When you want to talk about uh, the net for greenhouse gases and everything, you can't ever get below zero with wind with Uh, hydroelectric you can't get below zero with battery powered cars so that never gonna happen we can on the farm so we can sequester way more carbon dioxide than we could ever even dream about releasing so anyway that's i could talk all day about that but let's get to his question
0: okay so then uh, the question here from jared again this is jared in indiana He said, I did the three pre's for my soybeans for the second year in a row, and I also did a group 15 post-emerge with my Liberty application. Overall, we're very clean, but we've got some late season ragweed escapes in a few fields. So I've been out pulling some, but it isn't practical for me to carry them out from the middle of the field and, and just take the weeds completely out of the field. What I'm wondering is, at what point is that weed seed going to be viable where I shouldn't leave it in the field? And is it pointless for me to pull them now if I can't carry them all out? So I sent you a couple of pictures with the the seed heads clearly at some point of development on top of the plants. Yeah. Uh, am I too late
1: or what should I yeah. do? Yeah. No, I, I mean – it's possible that you aren't going to have 100% germination off that plant and the seeds yeah, and some, that he sent and some
0: people will clip the seed heads off and haul them out that yeah, way, too. Yeah, so you could literally kind of
1: just thing. do that if you wanted to. You know, I, I get it how you want to be that diligent and keep the seed from being in your field. If you're willing to go to that work, awesome. But if not, just understand, we got lots of good ragweed products. And quite frankly, what you did for ragweed control is actually really good. There's one additional component that you could add to this, first rate. That's what I would consider adding. So a lot of people in the three pre-program, and I know you're going to say, well, boy, I'm spending more money now. Yep, you are. But instead of a three pre, they may get a four pre-program. So they'll get first rate out there in addition to the metribuzin, the yellow, and the PPO. Uh, Now, the first rate could also go post. It could go with that group 15 and with Liberty if you wanted to use it post. And then that will give you a little more residual late in the season. So that would be the other thing that I would take a look at. Oh, by the way, on a completely separate note here, well, almost completely separate. Metribuzin, this year, I was just looking at some data yesterday and it was pretty awesome what Metribuzin had done this year for fantastic weed control. And it was night and day difference if people put metribuzin in versus if they didn't on things like ragweed, water hemp, kochia, and more. And it's like, well, why was the metribuzin so good this year? What it basically came down to is there were a lot of areas. If you look at the Western Corn Belt, you take the Dakotas, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, terrible for rainfall. I mean, like, in the 130, 140 years of recorded history, like, in some areas, been the worst 12 months ever ever even worse than the 30s so think about how dry that is with metribuzin it activates with very little moisture so you've got products in there that can work with very little moisture like metribuzin and then others uh, like some of the group 15s and uh, even the yellows where if you get lots of rainfall it's not a big problem metribuzin is a little bit leachable so you know lots of rainfall means you don't have as long a residual So I'm just trying to say it's nice to have the diversity, not just for weed control, but also in case things are exceptionally wet or dry.
0: All right, thanks for the questions. Uh this one comes from Bob in Iowa. He said, You guys talk about bin fan controls and here's my situation. My local ethanol plant has a one dollar premium if I bring them corn in August. Whoa. And I want I won't have the corn quite ready by then though. But early September could get me fifty cents. Yep. So my question is I'm looking what at moisture <laughs> could I harvest at and How quickly could I dry the grain down to even 17 or 18% that they'd accept? And then while I'm asking, just curious, how wet do you take your beans out? I've got some January contracts already, so uh, getting an early premium is not a big deal. I'm just more interested in getting harvest done sooner.
1: Okay, let me start with this. Like for us locally here in the closest ethanol plant to us, they're paying a 30 cent premium for October, a let's see, 80 cent premium for or sorry, it was thirty cent premium for September, an eighty cent premium for early September, even, and a dollar premium for August. Okay, so I get it, and I'm looking at the same thing. In fact, I just talked to Darren about this yesterday. That hey, I said, hey Darren, we've already told all our guys be ready to go because the last half of September, I want to capture that extra thirty cent premium. Uh, we've harvested super wet corn in the past. You can only harvest it up to about thirty five percent, and that's no fun. So when it gets down below 30, then it's workable. But to think that you're going to dry that down with air super fast, probably not. A couple, three weeks, but it'd have to be pretty hot. Uh, Otherwise, obviously propane, I've done all kinds of this over the years. I've taken 30% moisture and in a few hours I've got it down to whatever, 17 or 15 or whatever you want it to be at. So that's certainly possible. In, In terms of the soybean moisture we like starting harvest somewhere around 18 percent and then we throw it in the bins we've got automatic bin fan controls and even when it's cool out it doesn't take long three weeks and we've got it down to 13 percent even like i say even in cool weather so warmer it is the faster you're going to be able to get that done
0: and you know you think about that anything that we're changing like that i'd say start with start small just get used to handling that wet crop before you go crazy and
1: do the whole crop. Would you well, say that's fair? Well, I, yeah. I mean, of course, you're going to be starting pretty soon. You're, you're going to start one acre at a time. And if you say, oh, this is a disaster, which is kind of what I found with 30-plus percent moisture, <laughs> you're going to stop.
0: <laughs> that's a fair statement. Well, thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD
1: Radio.